Now, as the Lord enables us, let us again turn to the first book of Kings, chapter 21, to consider some words we have from the beginning of this chapter. Reading again at the beginning, now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. One or two thoughts on these words. Now King Ahab uh, was the fourth king of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And uh, he reigned for 22 years over these people. And uh, in chapter 16, from verse 30 onwards, we find what the scripture says about him. Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel the daughter of Ethbaal king of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. A very uncomplimentary statement regarding this king of Israel. He wasn't without his better points. We read that he had a large building program during his years as king and this is in chapter 22 at verse 39 and he seems to have been keen to have the people furnished with good buildings, the rest of the acts of Ahab and all he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel he had a mind to build up the nation in that uh, tangible and practical way he also had success as a king warrior particularly against the Assyrians when on more than one occasion 
he defeated the Assyrian forces that threatened the security of his land. But uh, against these better points, the overriding view of the scripture regarding King Ahab is that he was a very bad man and he left a very bad um, heritage or legacy behind him. He was instrumental in bringing the worship of Baal Merkart into Israel. I know that Baal had been a god of the Canaanites long before his day in the days of Samuel. For example, the people of Israel bowed to Baal and it was a constant recurring threat to the people, this idolatry of Baalism. Uh, but with uh, this particular king, um, he and his wife, as it were, were uh, doubly determined uh, to bring the children of Israel under the influence of Baalism. And Ahab and his wife uh, were uh, supportive of Baalism to the extent that you read earlier on in this book uh, that there were 450 prophets uh, of Baal entertained at the palace table, at Jezebel's table, and 400 prophets of the grove, the Asherah. That's 850 prophets of the idols, and at the same time there were 100 prophets of the Lord being fed by one of the Lord's servants by 50s in a cave to keep them from being slain by Jezebel. So there was this battle going on in the land, really a spiritual battle, a spiritual fight between light and darkness. And of course that's, um, that's nothing new. It's been like that from the very beginning, when Satan entered the Garden of Eden. And for all his plausible words and promises, he was the agent of bringing darkness and confusion into the minds of Eve and Adam and into the minds of their seed even down to the present moment. The darkness of sin where sin seeks to promote idolatry and the worship of anything or anyone apart from the worship of the true God. And we see here that Ahab he wanted land for himself at the beginning of this particular chapter. It's not as if he had a little corner of Israel. It's been estimated that he had a total area of land in Israel about 8,000 square miles. From Dan up in the north right down to Jericho and west onto the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. And if you measure that it comes out something like a hundred miles by eighty miles, which is what I've just said, in square mileage. He had a huge area. Nevertheless, the power of evil was so dominant in his life that he wanted even more and more at the expense of this man, Nabal. And that just to say two things. First of all, as we have at the beginning of this chapter, a sinful request 
Give me your vineyard. The king, Ahab, says to Naboth, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. A sinful request. And secondly, the answer he receives from this man, Naboth, is a godly answer. You see, at the very beginning of Naboth's answer in verse 3, he says, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing. The Lord wasn't in all the thoughts of King Ahab, while at the same time the Lord was dominant in the thoughts of Naboth to Jezreelite. And I'd just like to say one or two words, first of all, about this sinful, ungodly request that King Ahab made known to this man, Naboth. Now, he either didn't know or he didn't care what the word of God said regarding the inheritance of the people of Israel, the people of God. If you were to read in Psalm 78, for example, in verses 52 onwards, you find there that the Lord had taken the people into the land in the days of Joshua and he had divided the land by lot to them. The inheritance was theirs. And you find in this particular instance that what the king Ahab was seeking to do was to contravene a clear scriptural directive. In Leviticus 25 at verse 23 you have this. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine, saith the Lord. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. You see, the land is the Lord's. He has certainly granted it to these people, the Israelites in the land of Canaan, with this stipulation, they must not sell it between tribes and between one another. And the king Ahab sought to break that law of the Lord. And the other one is in Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse 18. And that says, Moreover, the prince shall not take of the people's inheritance by oppression to thrust them out of their possession. So that was, as it were, speaking directly to himself as the king, the prince, said over them. And the scripture says, you mustn't do it. You mustn't oppress your people. You mustn't claim their land because it is not your land. It is not their land. In essence, it's the Lord's land that he has granted to them as an inheritance. And Ahab didn't care. Give me your vineyard. It's a lovely vineyard. Or if you don't want to part with it, well, I'll give you money. Does that not induce you? And draw you to considering, well, maybe I'll give it away for money. You see, this was the way Ahab was working. And we see that 
there is this continuing malignant spirit in the world still. The evil and the power of evil seeks to undo what is right, seeks to trample over the word of God and all that it asks of us, seeks to suppress the word of God. We find that in Romans chapter 1. The truth is being suppressed by these people. It's underfoot. They don't care what the word of God is saying, but they want their own agenda to be progressed. They want what they want, not what the Lord wants. And I'd like to extend this thought a little bit more to ourselves in particular and the way the power of evil and the temptation to sin seeks to draw us away from what the Lord is asking of us. But before going there I'm going to come to what was given to this king by, a, by, a, by way of an answer by Naboth. Naboth said, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. See, he must have been a strong, strong individual, this man Naboth, because he stood up to the king. And the king, with all his authority and all his influence, nevertheless, this man had his focus upon the Lord. He stood on what the Lord was saying. He feared the Lord more than he feared the king. And this is what ought to be the priority with us all. Fear God and keep his commandments, it says in Ecclesiastes 12. For that is the whole duty of man or the whole of man. See, how does this kind of situation present itself to us as people living today? I'm going to say one or two things. First of all, about the Christian church. That Naboth, in a sense, who is the owner of the vineyard in Jezreel that's been appointed to him by the Lord, it's as if he represents the church of Christ in any age or generation. You see, the Christian church or the church of Christ is under attack all the time. Satan says, give me your vineyard. In what way does this pose a threat to the church? Well, think of the authority of Scripture for one thing. Think of the doctrines of Scripture. Think of the way the Scriptures are for us who have inherited them and who hold them dear. They are the only rule to direct us so we may glorify and enjoy God. They are the revelation of God to us. When the Apostle Paul was going into Rome, he was going into a very godless, multi-faith society with low, moral, low, moral, low morals and very, very worldly ethics and he was going in to reason with people who thought that they were able to reason him out of his gospel faith 
But he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it says, the just shall live by faith. You see, he knew that the gospel was full of power. The power of God. The God who took his people out of the land of Egypt by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. The God who kept them safe through their wilderness journeys. Who brought them into the land of Canaan and there subdued their enemies. The power of God was there. And when you think of the Apostle Paul himself, the way he was so adamant against the gospel and against all that was dear to the saints of Christ, nevertheless, in one moment of one day, he was the subject of God's saving power and he bowed the knee to Christ on the road to Damascus. The power of Christ invaded his life and subdued him to himself. In our day, so many people disregard the authority of the Word of God. They disregard what the Word of God says about God himself, that he is the eternal God, and that he is the one who has created all things by the Word of his power. And that he is the God who sustains all things by that same word of power. So that without his sustaining power, all that is in being would revert to nothingness. And the scientists come along and they say to us, that can't be. You've got to relinquish your faith in the scriptures. It just doesn't make sense anymore. We are so advanced nowadays that we can really progress things without any reference to God at all. Give me your vineyard. Leave it aside. I'm sure we've all met up with people who have that kind of argument. But you know what the word of God says in Proverbs? Buy the truth, buy it, and sell it not. Sell not this wonderful inheritance we have, this legacy that we have been handed down, the word of God, the scriptures, in a language that we know, in a language that is precious to us, whether it's Gaelic or English or any other language that's near to our heart, the scripture is available to us and it's God's revelation of himself and of his way of salvation in Christ Jesus. Not only do we have the scriptures but we have commended to us Bible-based practices, a lifestyle that is according to the mind of God revealed in the scriptures. <clears throat> You see, there is a biblical ethic. And the ethics of the scripture promote peace and promote harmony, promote peace in the hearts and minds of people and in communities. But Ahab says, and the spirit of Ahab in our present day says, part with that, 
Leave it aside. In our modern world, there's no place for the Bible at all. Well, I disagree completely with Ahab and his spirit in that particular situation. And then, thinking in terms of Christians as individuals, the Ahab of this world seeking to enforce and bring to bear upon us an idolatrous lifestyle. He says, part with these things that are near and dear to you as an individual Christian. Part with your Christian lifestyle. Give way on this particular issue. Why are you so puritanical on that particular issue? Why are you so committed in your private life and your public life to this particular kind of ethic day by day prayer life Bible reading meditation on God's word coming to the house of God coming and going is there any point in it part with that it's a new age it's a new world be modern be progressive in your thinking leave these all things behind you. Do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? And Esau was willing to sell his birthright for a mess of pottage, as it says in the scriptures. A little stew, because he was famished, having come in from hunting. And Jacob said, well, I'll give you some of it if you give me what's most precious, your birthright. And he said, well, what use is it to me? I'm about to die. So he parted with his birthright. Just like this man was encouraged to do by the king Ahab, give me, he says, your vineyard, which is precious. But this man stood his ground and he said, God forbid. He forbids it. And I go along with what the Lord says. Not what you, O king, are saying. You see, in the epistle of Paul to Titus, we have in chapter 2, in verses 11 and 12, very interesting words. The grace of God, it says, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Training us to renounce ungodliness, which is what this man did. He turned us with his back upon the king and he said, I'm not having what you're suggesting. And when the spirit of this age in which we live and the spirit of Satan approaches us trying to slacken our commitment to the things of God and the ways of the word of God, we must stand upon what the word of God is saying. And charging us to live our lives 
godly and committed to what is right. However difficult it might be, whatever dangers might come our way as a result, however much people may mock, it's better to be on the side of the Lord than on the side of those who seem to be modern and progressive. The Lord was saying through Isaiah to the people in 52.11 Come ye out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. The unclean suggestion. The unclean invitation. The worldly prompting to a lifestyle different to what the scripture commends. Come away from it. Turn aside from it. Keep on the straight and narrow. You find in the scripture again and again people commended for not having turned to the left hand or to the right. In other words, they didn't straddle the way they kept in the middle of the way that the Lord had commanded and they didn't turn to the left or the right. The king Ahab here sought to turn this man out of his own vineyard out of the inheritance that he had received. And the devil wants us in our day to turn away from the inheritance we also have received. What about people who aren't yet believers in Christ Jesus? Does this apply to you? Well, I would suggest that it may do when you're looking, as it were, from the sidelines upon the Christian church and the life of Christian people. And Ahab, the dark spirit, Satan himself comes and he asks you, you give me the vineyard of your life. You have been granted life by God. You live in a modern world. Everything is possible for you. Don't you turn away from the things that are seemingly so unprofitable, like the lifestyle of many Christian people whom you know. They just seem to be so ordinary. Life is more exciting if you follow the world and the things of this world. So Satan says, And he promises so many different things. Give me your life. I'll give you so many things. I'll give you joy. I'll give you peace. I'll give you satisfaction. I'll give you money. I'll give you fame. All of these different things. You know that Satan came to the Lord Jesus tempting him in the same kind of way. He says, See all these kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you. If only you bow down and worship me. Satan defeated. uh, Satan tried to defeat the Lord. And the Lord defeated him. He wasn't going to bow down before Satan. Satan had no authority to give him anything. He has no authority to give you anything. Because the Lord here, he suggests to us that this is a real danger. If you listen to Satan, 
and his his secret whisperings in your mind. Give me your life, he says. If you do that, if you yield to him, you will end up like Ahab, condemned by God. When you think of the answer that this man gave to the king, what did it lead to in his life? Well, it led to an awful lot of suffering. You see, the king's wife, Jezebel, was behind the king to try and progress the work of idolatry. And she arranged to have this man, Naboth, trapped by worthless men who brought false charges against him. You have cursed God and the king. And if that was to be said, they were going to stone this poor man. And surely that's what happened. For standing true to true godliness and true to the word of God, this man was stoned to death. When you think of the prophets in the Old Testament, it is said of Isaiah that he was slain and sawn asunder because of his faithfulness to the Lord. Think of the apostles. Peter was slain. Others of them were slain because of their commitment to the word of God. Think of the covenanters in Scotland because of their faithfulness to the scriptures and church government as described by the scriptures. Many of them died. Think of the Puritans in England. Many of them burnt to the stake because of their allegiance to the word of God. Our own free church forebears suffered much. Maybe not death directly, but suffered much because of the stand they took. And we see here that this is what happened to Nabal. He was put to death and was willing to be stoned because of his allegiance to the word of God. You know, we don't know what awaits us as a generation of Christians. We read the newspapers and see news bulletins and are aware that Christians are being persecuted in various countries nowadays. Rather than deny their Lord, they are willing to stand firm on the word of God to do what pleases him. The powers that be in these unsympathetic nations ask, give me your vineyard. And they said, no. I'm not going to give way to you because I love my Lord. Whatever it costs me, I'm not going to deny him. And when you read in the scriptures in the book of Revelation, it says that these people were faithful unto death and they received the crown of life. Crown of life. What is a vineyard or its value in money received from a king in this world? What is that in comparison to a crown of life? 
What do you think happened in the experience of Ahab himself? Believe that Naboth was one of those who didn't bow the knee to Baal. Do you remember what the Lord said to Elijah? Elijah felt so alone in the country of Israel and he thought there was nobody who feared God but himself alone. And the Lord said, I have 7,000 the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And I believe that this man, Naboth, was one of these people who didn't bow the knee to Baal. He was a fervent worshipper of the Lord in truth. Despite the fact that he was stoned at the hands of evil men, nevertheless his soul was sanctified at the point of his death and went immediately into glory. What about Ahab? Well, the Lord had written very dark words concerning Ahab. It says here that he and his wife met a very sad end. Very sad end. Ahab and his family, his wife Jezebel. If you read in Second Kings chapter 9, for example, at verse 25, it says here what happened in the experience of this man. Second Kings 9, Jehu said to Bidkar, Take him up and throw him on the plot of ground belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember when you and I rode out side by side behind Ahab his father, how the Lord made this pronouncement against him. You see, his family were reaping the fruits of Ahab's iniquitous, idolatrous lifestyle. It's interesting that the Lord is not asleep in relation to the sinful life of people. The generations that follow may reap the awful consequences of the sins of this generation, of the sins that I commit in my life. The Lord may see fit to bring fruit out in the experience of those who follow. And we see also 2 Kings 9.33. It's talking about Jezebel. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall, on the horses, and it trampled on her. He went in and ate and drank and said, see now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. When they went to bury her, they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. When they came back and told him, he said, This is the word of the Lord which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. In the territory of Jezebel, of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. The corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Israel, so that no one can say, This is Jezebel. In our day, it is so, so important 
for us to value the heritage, the Christian heritage we have. The wonderful gospel legacy that's been left to us. Because you can see on every hand people trying to unravel it. Bringing in various laws that are so contrary to the word of God. In various areas of life. Not just one or two areas. In successive areas of life. People are trying to get underneath the gospel and put it out out of its place and replace it with some kind of nebulous niceness to prevail among people. Well, that is no way forward, I'm afraid. And if our country buys into that kind of thinking more and more, it's a disaster waiting to happen. It's happening already, I believe. Naboth, he had a little plot of ground granted to him by God. You have a plot of ground, your own heart, your own life, your own congregation, your own denomination, your own country for which we ought to pray and pray more and more fervently as the day goes on lest the spirit of King Ahab undoes all the good that has been done down through the ages through the gospel give me your vineyard he says God forbid that I would give you the inheritance of my father the Lord Jesus Christ he paid so much and so highly for the privileges we enjoy. I used to work with a man years ago when I was working in the mill. And I would meet him and he would very often say, well, he said, this is a lovely day and it cost our Saviour much. For us to have a lovely day with sunshine And I believe he was theologically accurate. Every nice day and every moment's happiness we have in life we have as a result of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have nice days and have had nice days in our churches down through the years. All because the Lord Jesus has done what he's done. Don't let Ahab Interfere with these things in your own personal life. Don't give him an inch of the territory that the Lord has seen fit to grant you by way of grace. And when you think of the wider area of our nation, pray that the Lord would keep us from having Ahab come any further into our nation to dismantle the good things that have made our nation great down through the years, the greatness based upon righteousness and the truth of the gospel. May God grant that to be so. Let us pray. Help us, O Lord, we pray, to be fervent in our following of what is right and good and what is God-pleasing and God-glorifying.
however small our corner might be, just as Naboth had a little vineyard which he was willing to guard even to the death. Let us also, in our own hearts and in our own lives and in our own station, stand firm upon the word of God to do what pleases thee and to do what will be glorifying to thy great name and beneficial to our nation and our communities. We pray for thy blessing to be with us now as we sing thy praise in conclusion. We ask forgiveness for all of our sin. For Jesus' sake. Amen. <coughs> we'll turn to the Scottish Psalter again now and Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verses 3 to 7. It's on page 252. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good, and so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Delight thyself in God, he'll give thine heart's desire to thee. Thy way to God commit, him trust, it bring to pass shall he. And like unto the light, he shall thy righteousness display, and he thy judgment shall bring forth, like noontide of the day. Rest in the Lord, and patiently wait for him. Do not fret for him who prospering in his way, success in sin doth gain. These stanzas, Psalm 37, verses 3 to 7, said, Thou thy trust upon the Lord. Set thy
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon and abide with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.